Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, this morning our text is Hebrews chapter 11. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't. And we've titled this message, A Closer Walk with Jesus. But before we go into that, I have a commercial, and it's from Skip Heitzig. Skip, our pastor, has been out in Southern California, out in Costa Mesa, at what is being called a big tent revival. And so for over a period of a month, they're having teachers come in, and they're, as they're remodeling the sanctuary there in Costa Mesa, teachers come in from all over the country, and uh, it's just a phenomenal time. I hear that God is doing great things. But he wanted to, to let you know that he's praying for you, that he loves you, and he misses you, and keep them in prayer as they travel back to New Mexico this week. How many of you have heard that old song, Just a Closer Walk with Thee? Those in the front, not many of you have heard it, but many of you have. And uh, it's, some have said it was written by William J. Floyd. Others say it's just an anonymous tune. But I'd like to read you just a little bit of this song. It goes, Just a Closer Walk with Thee. Grant it, Jesus, this is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord, Let it be. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I can walk, dear Lord, close to thee. In this world of toil and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? Who but thee my burden shares? None but thee, O Lord, none but thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Now, this song has been sung by a myriad of people, all the way from Elvis to Patsy Cline to Loretta Lynn, our own Randy Travis, Roy Acuff, Mahalia Jackson, even Johnny Paycheck sung this song. And even those of you who like Lawrence Welk, the whole one and a two and a eight, he's, he did this song as well as Charlie Daniels. George Jones, many jazz artists, blues artists, and more Casio piano players on the internet than I care to mention. You know what I'm talking about? You open up the page, you say, just a closer walk with thee. You click on the page and you hear that bling, 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 bling. You know, it's everywhere. Even the Grateful Dead did a recording of this song. And if you look on iTunes, there are over 150 selections, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Now, it may be a catchy tune, easy to remember, but that's not the most important thing about this song. The most important thing about this song is we find in that phrase, just a closer walk with thee, i.e., the thee being Jesus. It tells us that there is a deep, Longing within the human heart to know and to experience God. There is a desire to abide with God in simplicity, in peace. To experience, as the scripture says, that peace that passes understanding. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning for nourishment, for strength. And we know that our time here together, Lord, is brief. But this time belongs to you. Our lives belong to you. And so, Lord, we wouldn't want to waste anything. So as we come to you this morning, 
We ask, Lord, that you do that deep abiding work in your people. Lord, that the words from your book, your words, would go deep into the heart of each one of us. So, Lord, that every time we come to you, we are changed for the better, being transformed into the image of your Son. Lord, we ask that you help our minds retain and our hearts apply and our lives live out the truth that you've set before us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Leonard Simi, the professor of epidemiology at the University of California at Berkeley, had studied the relationship between mortality rates and healthy health rates and those in connection to relationship with other human beings. He did most of his study in Russia, and his findings are rather telling. He believes that the more social ties, the better the health and the lower the death rate. Conversely, he indicates that the more isolated the person is, the poorer the health and the higher the death rate. Social ties are good preventative medicine for physical problems and for mental and emotional behavioral problems. Just like this song, there is an understanding in the writer of this song that there is a need for a closer walk with Jesus. There is a need in each one of us for true, viable, real, powerful relationships. I don't know how many of you have heard of an Emperor Frederick. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire in the 13th century. Now, Frederick was very curious, but not a very good scientist. His desire was to know what was the world's original language. Was it Hebrew or Greek or Latin? So he devised in his mind the best way to come up to understand what man's original language was. So he thought he would take a few infants, isolate them, so that they had no contact with any other humans except their nursemaids, who would come in and take care of their nourishment. But they were required to not speak whatsoever, not even to make a sound as they ministered care to these children. Because his thought was this, at some point as they reach the age of audibility, they will begin to speak either Hebrew, Greek, or Latin. Again, not a very good scientist. Well, something tragic happened. After about two months, we are told, all of the infants died. It was that lack of real relationship. They were not able to respond to anything, even though they were being fed. And it would seem, and I believe that all of us would would agree, that humans function best in relationship to others. Okay, that's relationships. Let's talk about walking. I found that brain-boosting data on walking here. In a study of more than 18,000 female nurses at age 70 and older, those who walk the most, at least one and a half hours a week, scored higher on tests of general thinking ability, verbal memory, and attention than did women who walked at least, or at the least, less than 40 minutes per week. In addition, the most active women were 20% less likely to be considered cognitively impaired. Similarly, a study of more than 2,000 men over the age of 70 in Hawaii showed that regular walking reduces the development of dementia, including Alzheimer's disease. Now, it doesn't end there. Walking seems to be a very essential part of the human experience. In fact, I found in the AARP uh, website that there are many other advantages for walking. It prevents depression, colon cancer, Constipation, 
Those of you who are many relieved, I, I don't know, I counsel a lot of you so I know that it's a concern. <laughs> Osteoporosis. <laughs> That's just the legalist. Anyway, um, osteoporosis lengthens lifespan. It lowers stress. It improves sleep and elevates the overall mood and sense of well-being. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, okay, Dave, you've talked about country songs, relationships, and walking. Where are we going? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Bible itself, especially the New Testament, is a book filled with travel. In fact, if we were going to rename uh, the New Testament, we could call it the life and adventures of Jesus and his disciples, or maybe walking through the Holy Land with the King, or maybe simply walking with Jesus. But travel in Bible times was very important because walking was the primary mode of moving around, from going from point A to point B. Not like Albuquerque. Albuquerque, I think, the primary reason for going somewhere is speed. In fact, I think the drivers in Albuquerque fit that passage of Scripture that says, we walk by faith, not by sight. (laughs) Sorry, I'm here to speak the truth. What, What do you want me to do? Now, if you were going to travel by sea, you would travel by a boat. If you were going to travel by land, you would walk or take a donkey or a mule to take provisions. And maybe if you were very wealthy or an emperor or in an army, you would have a horse. But primarily, you just walked from place to place and you would do so in groups. You would travel in groups because it was safer, you could share your provisions, but even more important was companionship. All right. Jesus himself was a great walker. In fact, I have some statistics here, some numbers that are here to prove that. It is estimated by those who've studied Jewish culture and the particular location where Jesus lived that Jesus, by the time he was 30 years of age, had walked over 18,400 miles. Sounds impressive. The three years of ministry that he had, it was estimated that he walked 3,125 miles, bringing the grand total of his walking on this earth 21,525 miles. Sounds impressive? It is. If you walk around the earth at the equator, it is 24,000 miles. Therefore, Jesus almost walked all the way around the world. Now... This is important in connection to relationship, and I'm getting to that right here. The last three years of his life were spent in ministry. Those three years, the disciples who followed him as he entered into public ministry would have safely walked a distance of about 3,000 miles. And if you've ever walked anywhere with someone, you know that something takes place on that walk. You know, for years, my wife and I, we'll exercise in various ways. I'll go to spin class or I'll skip uh, spin class and sleep in or uh, she'll go to the gym. But about three years ago, we started walking together. Now, we've been married for 17 years, but our relationship took a uh, a dramatic leap forward when we began walking together. There, There are health benefits, but the social and relational benefit was phenomenal. There's something that happens when two begin to walk together. There is a natural sharing of life and experience and fellowship that deepens the relationship. 
Great relationships are built over time, and the truly great ones are built over a lifetime. And this was where Jesus built those deep relationships with those disciples. Now, let's look at the bigger picture. Before uh, we look at our passage, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We'll look at verse 6. In verse 6, he says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, the word that is used here is a Greek word, peripateo. And it simply means to walk. Now, if we were told to walk like Jesus, we'd all be thinking, oh, I don't have a videotape. I mean, there's no instructional video. How can I do that? Did he walk with a limp? Did he walk really fast? It's not just what it's talking about. Primarily, it's used in Scripture figuratively to represent a person's lifestyle or form of living. It's how one person conducts themselves. Let me read a few other passages and translate it appropriately. John eight twelve says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk or conduct himself in darkness, but have the light of life. In Romans 8, 4, it says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk or conduct ourselves according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk or conduct yourself worthy of the calling with which we are called. So we could safely say, walking with Jesus is living out our life and our experience and our expression of life with Him. We could safely say that. Okay, here's the heart of the answer. How do I do it? You say, okay, Dave, it sounds good, but how do I do it? Quick answer. You, myself, or Jesus must be in agreement. Amos chapter 3, verse 3, we hear these words. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now this was culturally very pertinent to their time. Because if you were going to travel on a journey with a group of people or with someone else, you would have to make agreements about that travel. You'd have to be in agreement about the destination, where you're going. Right? You'd have to have agreement about time when you're leaving. You'd have to be in agreement about the route that you would take, the supplies that you're going to take with you. And most importantly, importantly, you would have to be in agreement about the roles that you would have. Which job am I going to take? What am I going to do? And this is true of good relationships, especially of marriage. They work best when there is unity in the direction that they're going. Now, here at the, the fellowship, we pastors do a lot of premarital interviews. You have a young couple who they're starry-eyed or maybe an older couple who are starry-eyed and they come in and say, we want to get married and we're just in love with each other. Good. Well, here's a few of the questions that we ask. Where are you going with your life? What do you want to do with your life? And as they answer that individually, you'll see a particular pattern develop. If a couple says, look, I want to be here in, in, in Albuquerque. What, you know, the woman says, I, I plan on living in Albuquerque, just a few houses from where I grew up. I want to raise my kids here. I want to send them to school here. And I want to be buried here. And the man says, well, I want to go to Africa. And I want to live in a hut. And I want to film documentaries. 
and I want to have 25 kids and I want to send them all over the world and I never want to return to Albuquerque. Now, as much as the two are in love with each other and they give each other those eyes, I'm thinking, disaster. Because you may be sitting right here at a desk, but your lives are going this way. And unless there's a real agreement, two cannot walk together. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. As we began our walk with Jesus, there, this text gives us three items on our pre-walk checklist. Three items that we need to be in agreement with Him before we take off on this walk. First of all, we need to be in agreement about His nature, His role. Secondly, His worth. And finally, we need to be in agreement about our role. Let's look at the first, the agreement of His nature. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him for... He who comes to God must believe that he is. You say, well, it's pretty easy to believe in God. Everybody believes in God. Everybody knows that God, God exists. There's only just a few handful of atheists in the world. But not so fast. Believing and trusting and having real faith in God is much different than merely assenting to the fact that there may be an existence of a God somewhere out there in the ether. Jesus had this same question for his followers in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say the Son of Man am? Who do the men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What are people saying about me? And in this we see the first popular response to who Jesus is. Verse 14 says, They said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah... And others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. The popular response about who Jesus is varies from generation to generation. Well, he's a good man. He's a good teacher. You know, he was a, he was a very powerful person. Very intuitive. Very loving. That's the popular response. But I want to offer to you the biblical response, what Scripture has to say, because you have the popular response, which fluctuates, but we always need to lay alongside it true Scripture. And Isaiah, in fact, I'm going to read a few verses here. You probably won't have time to turn them, so go ahead and mark them down for later study, okay? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 48, 12 says, Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, the first and the last. We also hear these words in Revelation. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the end. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we hear these words. He is the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Colossians 1, verse 15 say, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And finally, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, this is what we hear. It says, 
On his robe and on his thigh was a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you have the popular response, which varies, and you have the biblical response, which says, He is very God. But Jesus takes it a step further with his disciples. Notice what he says in Matthew 16, verse 15. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? That's the real question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds in a typical, perfect Peter fashion. He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter knew. Peter lived his life out on the truth of that. But what about you and me? How do we respond to this real and living God? Okay, that's good for the crowd. They fluctuate. Okay, the Bible, we know what the Bible says Jesus is and who he is and his power. And I know what Peter says. And I know what others have said. But what about you? What about me? Jesus will never be personal, a personal help to us until we recognize him as God. Why? Because we will never really seek after that which we do not fully believe. We will never really seek after that which we do not fully believe. If you have a disease and it's, it's eating at you and your friends come to you and say, Listen, <clears throat> I know a doctor. He's really good. She's really good. I'd like to send you to them and they can help you. And if your mind is, is such that says, Well, I don't go to doctors. I mean, people die in hospitals. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to go there. If you don't believe in it, you won't seek for help. Now, you may believe that there is a hospital. You may believe that there's a doctor. But until you actually take those feet and start heading in that direction and ask for help, you're never going to receive the help. And this is why he says, first, before we travel on the road, before we go any further, there has to be an agreement that you understand that I am God and that I can help you and that I love you and that I'm here for you. Notice at the beginning of that passage, it says it uses the word Um, faith. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, the word that is used there for faith is the word pistis, and it simply means trust. Without trust, it's impossible to please God. And the beginning of all of this is found in trusting God. Once we agree And seek him as God, he being the ultimate, the final authority, the full answer to life's questions. Then and only then do we begin to see things happen. Things begin to move. Things begin to change in life. Then is the moment, the one moment that we begin our walk with God. That's the first step of any person's walk with God, believing that he is. All right, second thing on our checklist for walking with the Lord is we need to be in agreement about his worth. Look back at verse 6 of Hebrews 11. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must be in agreement about his worth, that he diligently rewards those who come after him. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I don't think God hears me. I feel like my prayers just go to the ceiling. Or I don't feel that God is close to me. 
We've all felt that from time to time. But I have a question for that. What do you desire more than anything in the world? Because if you're able to answer that, therein lies your real treasure. Because that is where we find our heart's desire and focus, the thing that we value the most. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, we read this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid... We love to pay pirate. I can see there's some pirate types here today. And so we would make this map and, you know, burn the edges of it so it looked really ratted and tattered. And, but we would go out and, and bury a treasure. Or sometimes we would make a map and hope there would be treasure there. And I can remember as a kid, you know, it, just, it could happen. Come on. So, you know, you're, just, you're digging there, you're, you're digging in that. And then I, I, in my mind, I'd be thinking, boy, I hope there's something there. I mean, I'd love to be like the pirate and go, argh, you know, this is amazing. There's gold. Well, you dig for the things that you value the most. And a good way to find out what you're digging after is to consider where your mind is when you're not at work. When you have free time, when you have time to think, what are you considering? What is the primary activity you're involved in apart from work? What are you doing? What are you seeking? What are you thinking about? Therein lies your treasure. You know, James chapter 4 verse 8, it tells us, it gives us a command to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, why would he say that? Well, because there is a theological principle that we understand from Scripture, and this is it. God is omnipresent. That means that He is everywhere, always, at once. That means that there will never be a place you can go in your life, beyond this life, that is apart from God. So, if in your mind you're saying... Well, God, uh, he doesn't listen to my prayers, or he's not around me, or I don't think that God's even near me. You, it's not true. It's false. God is very near to every person everywhere. That is his very nature. And so we are commanded, in the, in the Greek, it's in the imperative, it's a command given to us to seek after him, to draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. And here's the point. If you never really truly see the value of walking with Jesus, you'll never diligently seek him and you'll never receive the reward. Psalm 69 verse 32 says, The humble shall see this and be glad, and you who seek God, your hearts shall live. Matthew chapter 7 Verse 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. We're called to seek after him. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 24 through 29, God has some very interesting things to say to the children of Israel. He starts it out, in verse 24 with these words, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, when I think of the term jealous, I think of men. Girls, you know what I'm talking about. You're in the mall with your husband, your boyfriend, and uh, he says, Were you looking at that guy? Which guy? 
You know, the one over there on the other end of the mall. I think I saw you looking at it. You think, this guy's crazy. And that's not what it's talking about here with the Lord. God doesn't have some inferiority complex. He's not worried. But the jealousy that God has is the jealousy that a parent would have who knew that their child was hanging out with a drug dealer. You'd say, get away from that person. I don't want you to see that person. Not because they're insecure, but because they love them with such a passion that says, I don't want anything to happen to you. The greatest thing that will happen to you, the most secure place you'll ever be is right next to me. Secure next to me. And further on in this chapter, as you go through verse 25 through 28, he, he tells the children of Israel that one day they're going to fall into apostasy. They're going to walk away from them. And eventually they'll be scattered throughout the world. And as they do so, they're going to come to a point where they're going to need to turn to God. And he prophesies about this in verse 29. He says, but from there, from the place of being scattered, There you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with your soul. King David was a perfect example of this. In Psalm 63, it says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Listen to his words. What does he say? He says, my soul thirsts, my flesh longs. What does it long for? For what God has? Does he finish this sentence out by saying, my soul thirsts for the prayer request that you're going to answer? My soul thirsts for the provision that you'll give me? My soul, my life longs after all the things that come from godliness? No. It says his desire was 100% purely for God alone. My soul longs and thirsts after you, O God. Abraham, a very tough point in his life in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. God gives him a promise here. He says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Do you get that? Those who come to the Lord have to come to him believing that he is God, but also that he rewards those who diligently pursue him. Let me break it down to very practical terms that we can all understand. Imagine Jesus in the flesh today in the parking lot of Calvary. What would your response be if you saw him getting in the car? First you'd go, wait a minute, who is that? Hey Jesus, where are you going? You kind of see him get in the car. Hey, can I go with you? Are you guys going to Chili's? Because I, you know, I know you're from Galilee and I can help you out with that. I'll show you what to order. You don't want to get, you know, the buffalo wings. Now, or you would say, hey, Jesus, where are you going? Can I, can I go stay at your house? Hey, uh, Jesus, do you think uh, maybe I can have your cell phone number? Because, you know, I have a lot of questions I'd like to go over with you. And ultimately, we're just asking, hey, Jesus, can I be your friend? I mean, there, there are some of those people in the world that are real great friends, and you want to spend time with them. See, the the real reward in the faith is the understanding that he, a relationship with him, is the reward. It's, It's just knowing him. That's the real reward in the faith. And in that, you find wrapped up the true biblical teaching about faith. Faith is believing, trusting in God, 
So much so that it, you walk with him and you develop a relationship where you have a true appreciation for the living God. And in that type of relationship, real faith takes place. The kind of faith that can move mountains. That's the faith. Okay, we need to be in agreement about his nature, about his worth. But finally, we need to be in agreement about our role. Look at the first few words of verse 6 of Hebrews 11. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. What this passage lets us know is that it is possible to please him. I don't know about you, but pleasing people is tough. Pleasing friends, even pleasing a spouse, even trying to please your own mind, your own self, can be a very brutal, disappointing endeavor. But we're told here that we can actually please the Lord. And you know what? Pleasing other people and yourself is tough because our minds change so often. One moment, oh, I just want, if I could have the pink boots, that would be the best. And then one day you show up and you think, what am I doing wearing pink boots? (laughs) But God doesn't change. He will never change. His nature is such that God doesn't change. And so when you please Him, it, it goes into eternity. You have actually done something. Jesus lived it out. Jesus, we see in John chapter 8, verse 29, that He said, He who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please Him. If we're going to walk with Jesus... We've got to put all of our junk aside and say, I'm going to please you. Why? Because he's better than you. <laughs> he's God. You were made to be in relationship with God. You and I were made to seek after him. You and I were made to please him. And, and here's how it works. Well, look at all your friends. Look at the trouble that you've had in your life. If you see a person addicted to some type of substance, why? Because they're trying to please themselves. We weren't made to do that. We weren't made to ruin ourselves. We were made to please Him. And in that we find satisfaction unparalleled. Just a closer walk with Him. Look up one verse at verse 5 of chapter 11. We see one guy who actually did it. By faith, that dynamic relationship... Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He did it. He walked with God. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'll read that he lived 65 years and then he walked with God 300 years. He lived 365 years and God said, you know what? You've done such a good job. I'm not even going to let you die. Come on up. That's awesome. But don't you want that to be your testimony? What do you want your testimony to be? He spent all of his life confused trying to please himself and he made himself miserable and everybody around him. Not very fancy epitaph, is it? But that he pleased God and in the end, God took him. That's the hope of every believer. To be absent from the body, we are told, is to be in the presence of the Lord. There will come a time when this body will expire and we breathe our last. But for the believer, the moment the heart stops, 
The eyes open into eternity. And the first face we see is the Lord himself. So, we close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Paul says, Therefore, based upon all that we know, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Life can throw a lot of curveballs at you. A lot of turmoil. And there's no guarantee what circumstance you'll find yourself in. No guarantee at all. But there is a guarantee of the relationship you can find yourself in. Would you like to go through life's trouble holding Jesus' hand or doing it by yourself? I'd much rather go through it with Jesus. So, what do we do? We get our pack list. We check it off. And and I I, want to challenge you this week to take this passage of Scripture very seriously. To take your walk very serious. Because, my friends, it is the greatest opportunity ever afforded to humanity. That you may walk with your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of this moment. The thought that the living God would condescend to come and be with us, Jesus, is so wonderful. And we fall short so many ways. But Lord, I pray for us, this congregation, this group of people, that we would follow you with the full force of our being, giving full attention to you, to pleasing you. And Lord, may we by our lives of submission bring glory and honor to your name, which would be the greatest accomplishment for any of us. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.